Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 117. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, what a great run at the Denver Film Festival. But like all things, it's got to come to an end. So we're back to reality this week with a fantastic episode about a brand new industry, something we've never covered here on the John of All Trades podcast. We're talking about jewelry. That's right. Diamonds, jewelry, ice, bling. He's heard it all. This week, we're talking to Avi Bulo from J. Fetter Jewelers. Now, J. Fetter Jewelers is actually where I buy my jewelry. Granted, you know, I'm not like in the NBA or I'm not rapping or I'm not, you know, buying tons of jewelry. I'm not on Broadway or anything like that. But when I do need jewelry, for instance, bought a push present for Kristen with the birth of our second daughter. J. Fetter is where I go. Because the level of customer service there is fantastic. I don't feel like I'm getting hassled. I don't feel like I'm getting harangued. I don't feel like, you know, they're grabbing me by the ankles and holding me over the balcony. You know, like Suge Knight doing it to Vanilla Ice style back in the 90s. It's nothing like that. It's a great place to do business. And the person I work with is Avi Bulow. And Avi is just an awesome dude. Like we hit it off. We just started chatting, shooting the breeze last time I was in there. He was helping me through, you know, what I was going to get Kristen And he's just a fantastically insightful dude whose heart is genuine and pure. And he's an absolute romantic. That comes out in this week's episode. Because for better or worse, you associate jewelry with items of romance, right? I mean, that's culturally how we link them in our heads. And it's one of the things that keeps Avi in this industry. I mean, he grew up around it. He grew up with Jay Fetter and Mark Fetter. And he talks about that and sort of how he got his start. But what keeps him in this industry is the romance of it. And my favorite part of this week's episode is Avi talking through how he helps guys with their proposals. You know, guys come in looking for an engagement ring and he goes, all right, how are you going to propose? And they go, I don't know. And so he gives some tips and he talks through what a good proposal can entail. Now he gives kind of a skeleton outline of that. And then you fill in all the other details on your own because it's your proposal. You should personalize it. And obviously Avi doesn't know you to that level. So he's not going to be able to coach you through the entire thing, but he'll give you an outline to build around. And that's insanely helpful. It's a great, great part of this week's episode. Additionally, like every episode of the John of All Trades podcast I do, I like to touch on issues of controversy. I like to talk about things that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable to talk about or think about. And to that end, we talk about how he broaches the subject of price. Because when you're talking about jewelry, price can be very uncomfortable for some people. Additionally, we talk about blood diamonds. That's right. We get right into it. We get into the thing that if you think about controversy when you're dealing with diamonds, it's probably blood diamonds. Now, 
He refers to them as conflict diamonds, which is the preferred nomenclature. It's sort of standard. It's the way you talk about it in the diamond and jewelry industry. But culturally and colloquially, I think we know them as blood diamonds. So we talk about blood slash conflict diamonds at length. What does that mean? How do you answer questions when customers have concerns about conflict diamonds, right? What do you tell them? And how does the industry work to get better labor practices throughout the world? This all comes up. It's a real yin and a yang episode of the John of All Trades podcast. Avi is a great guy, a tremendous ambassador for this industry. And I'm just super pleased with this episode. We talk about romance. We talk about his personal life. We talk about my proposal a little bit. So you get some insight into me. And we talk about issues of controversy. We're really covering everything you could want to know about the jewelry industry, which makes me exceptionally proud of this week's episode. Now, before we get to that, I'd like to give a shout to our sponsor, 4 Degrees. They've been with us since the beginning. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're running an online campaign, whether that has to do with a product, whether that has to do with a service, whether you're trying to raise awareness for a cause or any issue that you are working on, 4 Degrees will help you get that message out to the people that need to hear it most. They are geniuses at getting you on the correct platforms with the correct message targeted at the right group of people. I mean, hell, you could blast out your message to a zillion people. You could buy all of the advertising in the world. Doesn't mean it's going to be effective. What you need is strategy. What you need is guidance. What you need is mentorship. Four Degrees will give you all of that. And I would argue there is no one better working in the online space. So give them a shout. Check them out on the web. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now, let's get to this week's episode. It is episode 117. I'm talking with Avi Bulo, just a great dude, knows tons about the jewelry industry, is a romantic at heart, and we talk all things diamonds, jewelry, and uh, the whole experience of, of what you want when you're going to buy jewelry. So, let's get to it. 117, Avi Bulo starts right now. I mean, we're a family business, so we all come in at a little different times depending on all our right. schedules. But uh, I like to help uh, my wife get ready for, you know, get the kids ready for school. So Right, and um, you, you have quite the brood, right? Oh, yeah, with three kids and one on the way, so it's pretty exciting. Um, but I like to bike, and, uh, bike to work in the morning. So oh, nice. uh, all right. I leave around 8.30. I get here right around 9, 9.30. How far away are you? Uh, about nine miles. Okay, so, so, like, uh, so what neighborhood are you in? Uh, Lowry. Okay. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. We're yeah. both on the east side. Yeah. yeah. So I was, uh, I was in Stapleton for a while and then I was in Park. Now I live in Park Hill. So I'm even closer to Denver, which it's amazing going from like Colorado to Quebec, how much of a difference that makes in your community. Oh yeah. It's great. It's, and we have the Cherry Creek bike path. So it's really close to downtown. Oh, it's a great commute. Yeah. That's nice. a lot of fun. I, uh, I fruit booted a couple of times to work when I worked downtown nice. and, uh, People are like, you actually rollerbladed down here? And I go, yep. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, really uh, that's what I do. Yeah. So uh, we have a locker room downstairs with showers. So Nice. So I, I, uh, I take a shower, get in, and, and we open the store at 10 o'clock. We have to put out all the jewelry every morning. Okay. So insurance demands, we put it away in the safes, and we put it back out every morning, and that takes about a half an hour okay. to get all the jewelry out. Every night? So like everything every that's night, in the display every cases? Morning. Yeah. Do you guys change it up every morning then? We we try to keep it fresh. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we have we have some of the girls do that. It's not really my department to uh, uh, <laughs> to make it look pretty, but right. the girls do a great job at doing that. 
So I do that, and then uh, and then we open the doors at ten o'clock. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. Logistically, that sounds like a nightmare, though. Oh yeah. So we all have our designated cases, okay. and so every morning we take our bins and we put out the jewelry in those cases, and and uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's an adventure every morning. You know, in a weird way, it reminds me of uh, I talked to Noah Miller, and this was like two years ago almost, and he owns a firearm store. He has to do the same thing with all the firearms. He That's like right. he can leave some of the accessories out and stuff like the right. cases and you know scopes and hunters vests and whatever right but all the guns and all the firearms have to go in the safe yeah anything over a certain dollar value has to go in the safe every oh. night <laughs> wow yeah what happens if you don't well the insurance company won't cover us if anything happens oh oh yeah so okay if uh, if someone were to break in if they see all this in the display case right. It, uh, I'm sure the first co- first question from the insurance company is, well, did you put it in the safe? Right. Well, yeah, they're going to look at the cameras. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so they'll be able to see everything. So, yeah, we're, we're very, very diligent about putting things away. Okay. Yeah, every night. But like you said, you know, we do keep some things out, you know, less expensive items. You know, okay. we won't put away. But our safes are pretty full at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Okay. So once you've got that out and you've got it arranged and you've got it looking nice, Doors open, right? Doors open. So usually before the doors open, I'll make calls to my my designers, my custom people, and follow up with jobs and my repair people and see what progress is on different things. But once in a while, somebody will come in right at 10 and, and you know, we'll, we'll start hanging out and yeah. looking at diamonds and engagement rings or anniversary presents or push presents if, you know, your wife is expecting, which I'm going to be looking for something for myself <laughs> soon. And <laughs> I believe I bought uh, two push presents from you. You have, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so it's so funny to me to think about, at least for me, and I, I, I'm sure you have like regular customers who are in with you all the time. Mm-hmm. But for most people, buying jewelry is probably maybe like a once a year, maybe. Yeah, once a year, once every other year type of thing. Yeah. So anniversaries are common. Um, but after an engagement ring. You know, guys, you know, have to spend a little bit of time refilling their coffers and, you know, they, they spend a lot of money on that. And then, you know, they'll do wedding bands next. And after that, it's, you know, usually a one year anniversary or yeah. maybe your second year anniversary. But I mean, that's got to make your client book pretty big, like pretty extensive. Right. Oh, yeah. But these are folks that you almost never see. Right. I mean, we spend a lot of time with guys when we do engagement rings. Okay. So no, we'll that get, makes sense. We'll get to know them pretty well. And I don't just, you know, look, we don't just look at diamonds and rings. We talk about, you know, how they're going to propose and, you know, kind of the science behind it, <laughs> right. what they're going to say and, and where they're going to do it and how they're going to do it. So I coach them, you know, to propose and not just, you know, on, on what they're going to propose with. Okay. That's really funny to me. And before we get any further, we're sitting here with Avi Bulo, Jay Fetter Jewelers. Every time I've come in, and I've come in a handful of times, uh, I've worked directly with you. And I mean, you're you're kind of one of the main dudes there, right? Yep. I mean, it's it's am, you. Right? I'm the only guy there. Yeah. <laughs> so our owner Mark Fetter uh, lives in Boca Raton right now, and we're actually about to open a store there. Nice. So we have uh, J, J Fetter Jewelers in Denver is our main main store, and that's J Fetter opened this up about 38 years ago. Okay. Uh, and then we have a, a wholesale office in New York on 47th in the heart of the Diamond District. Wow. So, which is great. We can source anything. We have, we, we have, you know, we have contacts for everything. I mean, hmm. it's pretty extensive. Wow. I'm going to want to talk about that a little bit more because the, you know, I think most people's understanding and exposure to the diamond buying business is basically Tom Shane commercials. Right. <laughs> right. Your <laughs> yeah. friend in the diamond That's buying right. business. But, you know, beyond that, I don't think people actually understand how the mechanics of it work. But first, I mean, more importantly, is sort of the personal aspect here. And who better to understand what goes into a, a proposal and a successful proposal 
than you who's dealing with it every day, right? Right. So, I mean, it's kind of, I, I get to hear feedback and I get to hear stories of, of what people tell me. So it's pretty interesting. I, uh, you know, first started off and, you know, it helps someone with an engagement ring, say good luck, and, you know, they're <laughs> on their way. Now I tell them, okay, you know, how are you planning on doing it? Where are you going to do it? What are you going to say? Yeah. And, you know, people don't really think that far ahead. And then, you know, so, you know, I tell people, you know, why don't you sit down and, you know, write a letter, you know, to your future fiance, your future wife. Yeah. And if her name is Jennifer, write a letter, say, you know, dear Jennifer, and, and this is why, you know, just kind of like a love letter. Sure. And in that letter, tell her, you know, why you love her and, and things that she does that's special to you, you know, how thoughtful she is or care. And the more or, specific, the better. I mean, good writing oh, yeah. is relies on specificity. Absolutely. Just just go go to town on it. And that letter, just tell her how special she is and, and how much she means to you. And then you have it on paper. And then when you're going to propose, you tell her a few of those things, you know, how, you know, how kind she is and caring. And these are qualities that you really find attractive about right. her. And this is why you want to marry her. And this is why you're doing it. And then you could either transition to going on your knee and say, you know, this is why I want to marry you. Or, you know, you can do that on your knee and then open the ring box after. But you kind of make it a reality and coach them through the actual moment, which is, you know, for most guys, the first time they've actually gone that far and thought that far in advance and say, wow, I'm actually going to do this, and here's how I'm going to do it. So, you know, everyone thinks, okay, I'm going to get on my knee and just propose. But <laughs> there's a lot more that goes into it, and the, the and thoughtfulness. And it's one of the, I mean, it's one of the most intense moments of your entire oh, yeah. life. Right. Yeah. And you want to create that moment that she she's dreamt of. Yeah. So when you put that much thought and time into it, and you're going to say what is important and make her feel like, you know, the most special girl in the world, that's going to make the proposal, you know, yeah. so much better for her. Okay. Uh, scoreboard proposals, public proposals, yay or nay? I'm not a fan. <laughs> Nor am I. <laughs> but, but some people do those things, but I'm not a fan of those. I'm more of an intimate person. A walk in the park, you know, a hike, yeah. something more intimate. You know, even in your own kitchen or a living room, you make her dinner at night. You yeah. know, she comes home to flowers on the floor or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know that when I got I, – I ordered my ring from – I didn't know what I was doing. So I ordered it from this place overseas, so I was waiting for it, like waiting, 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 waiting. Right. And I, I had planned this trip to Fort Collins with my wife, which is where we met. Didn't have the ring, so came by. <laughs> came, came and went. It was totally anticlimactic. <laughs> but, Did uh, you propose on the trip? No, no. I didn't have the ring. Just And she uh, – all her friends were like, oh, he's so going to propose this weekend. He's going to propose this weekend. She's like, John's not like that. And I, it turns out I was like that. Right. <laughs> you but, just didn't uh, have the ring. Yeah. So as soon as I got it, I got it on a Monday, and I happened to have that day off. And, uh, as soon as I got it, and I've talked to a lot of guys about this, as soon as you have it, like in your pocket, you want a hole in your pocket, you want to abdicate responsibility for that ring. Absolutely. Not, not just because like you want to get engaged, but you just don't want to carry it around. Like you feel it, you know? And And there's that nervous excitement. Oh, so like all day. I mean, my mom came over, she wanted to see it. Right. And so we're just drinking in my kitchen at like two in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Because my wife is at work, but uh, yeah, so we did it. We did it at the house. I was it, that was better, but so okay. Now they have this letter, right? Uh, right. So so they have this letter. So they propose, and they have this letter. And I always say, you know, the night before the wedding, give her this letter, and maybe even a picture of the night that you do propose that you propose to her uh, of you two, and you can give her that letter with the picture the night before your wedding, nice. maybe with a small gift, but that letter. And it just, you wrote that letter in a time of, you know, you're not stressing out about the wedding and logistics and who's sitting with who and what aunt is coming in and, you know, do we have to get a vegetarian <laughs> meal for them and this or that. And so, you know, it's just, it, it's a really 
really nice letter the night before the wedding. You remind <laughs> right. her how much you love her and how special of a moment you know tomorrow will be. And uh, and that's you know it's just a little uh, it's a bow on top of everything. Yeah, you're you're romantic at heart. Oh right? yeah, total romantic. <laughs> I mean, because I. It, You've done this how many times now? Hundreds? Oh, yeah. Uh, at yeah, least? At least, yeah. Thousands, probably. <laughs> um, yeah. And the way you tell it, there's there's an excitement about you. Oh, yeah. It, it, like, oh, and I love hearing the stories after they come back. I always <laughs> say, how did you do it? You know, how was it? And you have pictures of it. You know, some people have videos, which <laughs> is also exciting. And every guy comes up with their own unique way of proposing, and it's it's so nice. But you, you almost you, – you give them, like, a skeleton outline to build from, which – Generating the raw material is the hardest part. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You, I mean, that to me, I was, my brother in law was talking to me one time, my future brother in law. He's like, when are you going to propose to her? I'm like, dude, like next month, okay? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. And so I started talking to him about our relationship and all that. And we'd been drinking and he goes, dude, that's what you need to say. And I go, what did I say? Right. <laughs> I can't even remember. And so I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it and I had it all dialed in. But here's the thing that having the letter would have helped because as I did it, I got halfway through it and it's almost like I floated out of my body. You forgot what you wanted to say. And I go, what the hell are you talking right. about? <laughs> And I like in my body, I'm like, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. That so, happens to almost everybody. And so, uh, I'm looking at her and she's got this sort of semi confused look on her face, but she told me she knew she suspected something was up when she tasted the quality of the wine that I had bought. <laughs> she's like, this, she's is, not you. this is not a Monday wine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, um, and most women, look, women are smarter than we are. Right. Let's just be honest. Most women catch on pretty quick what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I say, even if she knows, don't panic. Just go through with your plan because you're still go- it's still going to be a fantastic moment. Right. So just go through with it. Yeah. She she sees the twist ending coming here. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't mean you're not enjoying the story. Right. Up exactly. To that point, it's right? not about the surprise. It's about what you're doing, and you're asking her to marry you, which is a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, I always <laughs> say just stick with your plan, even if she's figured it out. Did you? Okay. So that that leads me to a question. Given that you're a romantic and that frequently jewelry is associated with romantic moments, uh, a lot, right? right? I mean, those two are interlinked in people's mind and they're interlinked culturally. Is that, you know, being the way you are, is that what led you to get into jewelry or? It's not what led me into it, actually. It's kind of, you know, the the more I got into it, the more I realized how enjoyable it was. And I got Mm. to work with people during, you know, great times in their lives, you know, getting engaged, getting married, you know, having babies and, you know, just growing their family and and anniversaries and birthdays. And it's always a joyful moment. So it was just something that I came home every night smiling. And I was like, what a great (laughs) job. I'm so lucky I have such a great job. And you get to meet fantastic people. and, And I know people from all over town and all over yeah. the country and all over the world because of this job. So it's it's really cool and it's a fantastic group of people I work with and it's a great company and the Fetter family is, is a great family. So it was just, it was a really nice fit and that's kind of how I fell into it. Jay was retiring. Mark uh, Mark asked me if I was willing to, to join the team and I said, you know, yeah, it looks like a great opportunity. So How did you come to get associated with these folks? Uh, Jay Fetter and my father are best friends oh, and I grew okay. up right across the street from Mark Fetter who's now the owner. Okay. So they are old family friends. And and yeah, Mark used to groom me and uh, on you know on just you know life and and you know how to think about certain things and you know uh, so yeah it was just you know it, you know he used to tell me from early age that one day you're going to work for me at <laughs> Jay Fetter and I always laughed and said yeah that's not going to happen I'm not working in jewelry but you know it, you know he's like uh, when the time came he said we you know I need help in the diamond buying office and I said okay that sounds pretty cool. And I started being trained as the diamond buyer. So I have, you know, years of experience in the diamond buying office. And then I transitioned slowly to the sales floor. Wow. You know, the more help we needed. Are you from New York? 
I'm originally from New York when I mean when I was a kid. So I was 13 when we moved out here. So okay. I consider myself a Denverite. It was actually funny. I was in New York and uh, I was visiting my grandmother who still lives in New York. And uh, I was coming from the airport and uh, I had to go to Grand Central Station. And so I was walking through Grand Central and I was just looking at, you know, the ceilings and I was looking around just marveling at how beautiful it was. And even outside I was, I was looking at, at how beautiful the architecture was. And, and I almost got hit by a cab while I was crossing the street. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm totally a tourist. I am not from You're New York. I'm New from York. Denver. I'm a Denverite through and through. Like I almost got killed crossing a street in Manhattan. So yeah, I'm from Denver. <laughs> just probably walking slowly with your mouth open. Right. I was just, just like, wow, marveling at just the beauty of, you know, Grand Central <laughs> Station, their train station. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Denverite. Oh, God. And I bleed orange and blue. Huge Bronco fan. So, yeah. That's too funny. <laughs> um, so, like, what did you study? Like, when, what did you have designs on doing? You said you wouldn't go into the diamond business, right? What? Well, I just, it just, you know, the diamond business didn't sound so exciting. I thought it was just, you know, jewelry and people would come in and you'd help them pick what they wanted to pick. And it didn't sound very exciting, but, right. you know, the diamond buying office that sounded kind of exciting i was like oh what do we do there it's like well you know we look you know at certain types of inclusions and you know we're not we're a small enough store where we actually get to spend time with each diamond we buy which is very unique most stores have Mm -hmm. to fill a certain amount of orders the most common stones sold i'm just going to get a little technical let's say an isi1 or maybe an isi2 and they just buy most of you know that stone quality and you know that's what they sell a lot of so they just buy a lot of that they barely spend any time with the stones but in our in our case we don't we 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 have a, a a store and it's a great store and we do a lot of business, but we're still able to spend a lot of time with each stone we buy, and we feel invested in each stone, which is why we offer our policy of whatever you spend on your on your engagement time and you get towards your next one. You don't have to spend double like most other places. You get every dollar for you get dollar for dollar what you spent on it. Right. What so, do you mean? I'd- so if you spend ten thousand dollars on a diamond and you want to upgrade that to a fifteen thousand dollar diamond, you give us five thousand dollars and the original diamond you bought. Wow. Okay. And, and you get your next diamond because that's our diamond. We've invested so much time and energy into okay. that diamond. We know that's a good diamond, so we're willing to stand behind it forever. Wow. I, that's a pretty amazing customer service policy. It is. We do the same thing with diamond studs and diamond pendants. Is that fairly unique? Yeah. A, a lot of people offer trade-in, trade-ins, but they ask you commonly to spend two or three times the amount of the original purchase price. Okay. Wow. That... Uh but we feel like if somebody upgrades, it's an exciting thing. So people don't usually upgrade too early on, you know. Sure. Um, but they, they'll upgrade at 10-year or 15, 20-year anniversary. And when they do, the group of friends that they're with, they see, you know, let's say her girlfriend see that she just got, you know, a two-carat or a three-carat diamond. Then the other girlfriends start thinking, hey, that's <laughs> right. something I want. So we don't, make, we don't make much money when we upgrade, but it's great advertising. Yeah. Because then all of her friends want bigger diamonds. And then all the people she interacts <laughs> with, they say, wow, you got a bigger diamond. I want a bigger diamond. So that drives new business to J. Fetter Jewelers. And so that it works out very nicely. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a long game. It's not, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's yeah. not immediate, but it's, it's a ton of fun and, uh, it's a great environment. It's so funny too, because I have nothing but positive things to say about my experience with you all. You, Thank you. Like you all are, are very, and I don't want to turn this necessarily into a commercial for you guys, but you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about my experience because when I come into you, you know, you guys are not like high pressure. You're not, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting worked at all. Right. Like it, it's, it's a very collaborative uh, environment. And I think if you talk to most people, if they go to like your standard sort of mall jeweler, it, at least anecdotally based on my experience is not something that you hear as frequently. Like they're not as satisfied with right. that. 
um, and they feel like maybe they got taken. Well, a lot of a lot of other jewelry stores have this sales technique where if they see they're not going to close somebody, they do this thing where they pass you off to somebody else that they think will close you. Just kind of <laughs> like in car sales, right? <laughs> like you know, they they go back and forth, and it's a sales mentality where we believe that you develop a relationship with somebody, and they kind of see you through, you know, the rest of of you know of their jewelry needs. So. Hmm. Somebody comes in for engagement ring, and then they need repairs done. Or let's say their mother needs repairs done. I just helped, you know, yeah. uh, one of my clients, Erin, you know, yesterday, and uh, and she brought her mother line, and she had a bunch of things that she needed repair, you know, things worked on. So I helped them, too, with the repairs. <laughs> and then if we need something custom, which I'm doing for them as well now, I, I do that. So I take care of everything from start to finish. doesn't matter what it is, even if it's an appraisal. If you just need a simple appraisal done, they come see me again. So I handle everything. It's not just I'm a specialist in one specific thing. Right. But I'm not afraid to call in. You know, uh, color stones is not one of my expertise. And I'm not afraid to call one of the other girls, Stephanie, Natalie, Emily, and say, you know, hey, you know, can you give me a hand with this? You know, because they, you know, Natalie has been with us for almost 30 years. And she she has an amazing, you know, knowledge of colored stones. I'm not afraid to say, hey, can you come in and give us a hand with this? Yeah. So, and I know, you know, my strengths, you know, <laughs> which are diamonds and custom, you know, and jewelry. And, and my weaknesses right now, which I'm working on, is colored stones. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is funny because you bought a colored stone. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I bought a couple from you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, one of them was an opal, which was which was gorgeous. I'd never seen anything like it. And then uh, it, what's funny, too, is when I came in for the second one, you actually remembered that. You're like, didn't we do, like, an opal for you? That's right. I'm like, how do you remember that? Like... <laughs> And I mean, is that, is that a talent that you cultivate? Is that something that you can improve or is that just inherently kind of who you are? Are you good with faces and names? And the, the funny thing is I'm not great with faces and names, but when I remember jewelry, everything comes back to me. So like, wow. let's that's say like, like the entry point for you to, right, exactly. Yeah. So like if I remember what we did, I'll remember everything else. I remember, <laughs> I'll remember the story. I'll remember, you know, it was a push present I'll, I'll, and it's not always, but that's, it's yeah. something that you know the jewelry triggers it for me, which is funny. It's not the other way around. <laughs> but I'm I'm decent with with faces, not great with names. I'm okay, yeah. but it's not. Yeah. Well, when I mean when you come in, the nice trick is you know you've you've got uh, you've got a customer service person there who who takes your name and you know it's like let's see who you worked with, and then you know. What was funny is we talked about the jewelry and then, yeah, you remembered all these other like what I right. felt like were superfluous details. Well, yeah. When we spend enough time together, I'll remember you. Yeah. yeah. If we if we spend, you know, if it's just somebody walking in saying, hey, I, you know, I need to drop this off. It's my first time in here. And then they come back, you know, pick it up. Right. You know, I'll remember who they are. Obviously, they were in last week. But, you know, if they come in two years later and I gotta remember you remember you helped mm-hmm. me with a repair. Like, yeah. oh, tell me Not what really. it was. Well, you know, we soldered these rings together. Oh, now I remember because you told me a little <laughs> bit about the jewelry, so now I remember everything. <laughs> but yeah, but if it's a, if it's a guy that I helped with their engagement ring, uh, I'll usually remember them forever. Yeah, yeah, because you can spend so much time and you invest emotionally with them. You know, because yeah. what they're doing is so exciting. So yeah, that's that's you know that's how I work anyway. One one of the uh, I'm remembering a different conversation I had too, which is. Uh, with tattoo artists and one of their favorite things was fixing bad tattoos right like they're really good and they could see when someone got a really cheap terrible tattoo do you like when someone comes in and says you know hey i went to and you know i'm not going to slag anyone by name no, here, for sure not. but uh you know i had this bad experience like we went to we went to the mall i worked with this jeweler and i'm just really put off by the entire process do you welcome that kind of thing oh yeah absolutely it's just you know you get to give them the experience of of what a real jeweler is like and you know what the family experience is like yeah so they come in and and you break down what needs to be done and 
honestly the most important thing in any business is following through on what you're what you what you're telling your client. Right. So if you say I'm going to take care of this or I'm going to do that, you do those things, and that that's what you know makes a business uh, you know well run and, and a good business. So you know we just we say what we're going to do, we execute on that, and we deliver, and uh, and that's what makes you know any business good but that's what makes us really good is, is we, we do what we're going to say we do that well i mean that's a good policy for life right uh, not just business. for everyone not just a jewelry store but <laughs> right. yeah but that but honestly it's it's like you know how do you make a good salesperson or how do you make a good manager is yeah. but you follow through on what you're going to say and you know that's you know yeah. that's what i found you anyway. do one of the things that i think when people think about jewelry and particularly if you're not doing this a lot if you're sort of new to it that people get uncomfortable with is talking about price Right. Right. How do you approach talking price with people? Because you, you've got to be able to tell when people are really nervous about because, I mean, people are more than likely going to spend hundreds and probably thousands of dollars, depending on the sure. level of what they're doing. Um, how do you approach sort of navigating that price discussion with customers? Well, it's, it's interesting. Usually people come out and say, hey, here's my budget. And. You know, the reason they're there is to see me because their friend sent them in or their father sent them in or, right. you know, they read they read reviews online. So they'll say, okay, I'm here for, you know, I'm here for X, Y, and Z. This is what I want to do, and here's my budget. So a lot of people just come up and say that, and then they'll ask me, what do I do with this budget, and what's the best thing I could do? You know, right. here I want a ring with a halo, you know, and I know right. she wants a round diamond. You know, I, I, this is my budget. It's $5,000. How do I get the best value for that? And then I'll take them through everything and say, well, you know, if we do a halo ring, this is an option. And then we're able to spend this much money on the diamond. Right. So usually people will just come out and say it. But, yeah, I mean, you just – whatever they're – and I always tell people don't push too hard on your budget for an engagement ring because, you know, you're about to go into a marriage. <laughs> and you don't want to start off a marriage, you know, financially stressed because of, you know, something that you did earlier on. So I know if someone comes in with a budget – I try very hard to stick with that budget or come in a little bit under. And I feel like also that, you know, it earns me the loyalty of my clients because sure. they say, hey, look, I'm not trying to dig into their pockets. I'm actually here <laughs> to help them. So I think it earns the loyalty. Right. You're not turning them upside down, holding them by right. the ankles, like, <laughs> shaking the change out of their pocket. Right. 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 Which, you know, is, is probably one of the – something I'm fascinated by is the preconceived notions that people deal with uh, in terms of their jobs. You know, like – Culturally, we and, – and no matter what job it is, you know, there's a caricature of the, the folks who work in that industry. And I think one of the ones that you must swim upstream against is what you just described, you know, where you go into a shop and, you know, you're looking for a specific thing and they ring you for every last nickel. Right. But what you just described is like the opposite of that. And to me, that indicates taking a long view of customer service. But that, that started from, that started actually from Jay Fetter. That was his mentality and he was not a good businessman at all, but he was everybody's <laughs> friend and he really cared about everybody. And that just, that trickled down to all of our staff and our, you know, our mentality is let's help them because if we do help them, we're going to earn loyalty that way. Mm. And also you earn a friend that way. So, yeah. you know, if you try to, you know, if someone comes in and you, you shake them down, you know, <laughs> they're not coming back. Right, if you're lucky, you, you close them. And if, you know, and yeah. uh, if you're you not close lucky, them one just, time, right, they walk away and they're probably not yeah. coming back because it wasn't a comfortable experience. But when you make somebody comfortable, you know, yeah. so yeah, that's when they come back. So that started with Jay Fetter and huh. and uh, you know his wife always joked, you know, he's a terrible businessman, but he's everybody's friend. <laughs> but a great guy, right? great guy. He was funny and corny, and he was hilarious. Um, you're referring to him in the past tense. I'm assuming he's no he's, longer with he's, us. He's 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 uh, he's no longer working at the store. Okay, uh, he's retired and uh, and he lives out of the country right now. But his son Mark is now. Okay, uh, I yeah. gotcha. 
So you mentioned that you spent some time. But doing... he is kind of like a legacy. That's what we've heard him in the okay. past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he comes once a year to visit and say hi to all of us, but he doesn't, he doesn't do any jewelry anymore. I gotcha. Yeah. And why Denver, by the way? You know, if, if you come out of New York and then, uh, you know, we're out here in Denver and you mentioned Boca Raton, what, what led to expanding to Denver? So Denver wasn't the expansion. That was the starting point. So Jay Fetter, I think, is a third-generation Denverite. Oh, okay. Uh, or or uh, from Colorado, at least. Um, and so he decided to to uh, to, to open a jewelry store. Hmm. Um, I think he started off wholesaling diamonds and okay. then slowly transitioned into an actual store. One of his wholesale clients uh, was actually in our suite on the 16th Street Mall <laughs> in the university building and the same third floor. And he used to go and sell him diamonds. And then the guy said, you know, I want to retire. I want, you know, I think I'm done with the business. And would you like it? And Jay said, yes. And I think that's how he transitioned into the retail side of things. How long have you been in this location? Uh, almost 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, and we've done everything from, you know, having, you know, a whole separate wholesale operation in Denver to just, you know, and, you know, a a custom operation in Denver to, you know, now we're kind of more streamlined with a few jewelers. And then a lot of our custom things are done with these incredibly talented people in New York. And that's, you know, we work a lot with them. And uh, since we have an office there, it's it's easy to keep tabs on them. I got you. Uh, and then Boca seemed like an obvious choice because that's where Mark Fetter and you know his family sure. moved to, and and uh, and you know there's a great community out there. So uh, we decided to open another store there. Nice. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned you d- you spent some time buying diamonds. Oh yeah. Right. How does that process work? Because I think to your average person. They have no sense for how that works. And to be honest, I don't either. So buying diamonds is, is pretty interesting. So my first experience buying diamonds, I didn't, re- I didn't really know what I was doing. But we had uh, this guy come in from Israel. And uh, he had all of his diamonds come in via Brinks. And so an arm- armed guard showed up with two mm-hmm. bags. And you know we signed for it. And he came to the back room and dropped them off. And, and I looked through about... Five million dollars worth of diamonds. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a lot, and that was like it's, my it's first. It's like Reservoir Dogs or something, I right? Mean, and these were smaller diamonds too. They weren't like you know four or five carat diamonds, which can add up to five five million very very quickly. Yeah, you know these were you know half carat to carat and a half. You know maybe a few two carat diamonds, mm-hmm. just bread and butter type things. And we look through those, and and just one after the next, you turn them down, turn them down, turn them down, and then when you see one diamond that you like, and the grade matches the dime paper, because even the GIA can get things wrong. What is the GIA? The GIA is the Gemological Institute of America, and they are the foremost authority on grading diamonds. Okay. Um, they they're just a third party entity that just grades; they don't sell. Okay. What what goes into grading a diamond? So uh, the GIA will grade the four C's, which is more com- most commonly known. So uh, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. So color, carrot, cut, clarity. Okay. So the color and the clarity are the the two most things we kind of dive into in our store specifically. Okay. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. The clarity you use a, a jeweler's loop. Um, you know, okay. <laughs> the, that's the, the, the oh, is it like the the magnifying glass that yeah, you look into diamonds. So we have everybody look at right. diamonds and see what they're actually buying and see the inclusion in their diamonds. So right, and I, I think everyone who's who's been drunk at one point or another has taken a shot glass <laughs> that's right. up to their eye <laughs> and said, "Anyone, <laughs> anyone want me to appraise anything for the, you?" That's right. So uh, <laughs> and then color use a color grading tray, and then uh, and then carat weight is just the weight of the diamond. Right, and then uh, and then cut is is uh, is the beauty of the stone proportionally okay. if it's cut properly, okay. uh, which actually most people don't know this, but it only applies to round diamonds. There's no such thing as a cut grade on any other shaped diamond. So a princess, huh. a radiant, a cushion huh. doesn't apply. 
Really? So that's what the fourth C. Yeah. That's so I think that's probably surprising. So I think my my theory not is not to you, the four, but <laughs> the four C's actually refer to the actual cut of the diamond. Okay. So meaning, is it a round? Is it yeah. a round, brilliant cut? Is it a radiant cut? Is it a princess cut? So I think, but now oh, it's okay. translated into it's the cut of the diamond, which means the beauty. So. I think that's that's something that's kind of caught on the last you know ten fifteen years. Okay, interesting. Um, so so all these diamonds are GAA graded. So uh, so the, uh, the the guy will come in from New York and he'll show me all these stones and we'll look at one after the next after the next. And when I find this a diamond that I do like, I ask him the price on it. And if the price is a good price, yeah, then I'll consider buying it. If it's not a good price, even though it's beautiful, I usually turn it down. Like, is there room for negotiation at that point? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always room for to negotiation, extent, yeah. but sometimes if it's too far off, I don't, I don't even mess with it. And for these sure. guys know that, you know, when they come to J. Federer Jewelers and they sell, it's there's no games. You know, we write them a check, and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. you know, it's you know, it's real business. It's not like they have to give us a whole <laughs> line of credit and they have to chase us down and this and that. It's you know, they come here to sell. Right. So they usually come here with their best goods first because if they can sell anything right away. We'll buy it. You know, right. we're serious okay, buyers. Yeah, yeah you're, so, you're not uh, doing like a three card Monty with them. No. So yeah, there's other you. stores that do things like that. You know, when they have their leftover diamonds, remember, diamonds aren't something you can just order. You know, it's not like <laughs> I need, you know, seven blue sweaters and a size medium and 15 larges and, you know, and seven extra larges. You can't just place an order. Diamonds are mined and, you know, you have to, you see what there are and then yeah. you buy off of what's available. So whatever we, you know, we and other companies don't buy usually goes to the bigger stores and they say, okay, here's the rest of the diamonds. They'll give you terms on them. You know, you don't have to pay me for 180 days. You know, you sell them and, you know, we'll move on. So the smaller stores actually have an advantage in the diamond world because of that reason. And it's really interesting because most, you know, most consumers of of products and especially larger consumers get better pricing. So my father-in-law is in the toy business. And he manufactures arts and crafts toys, and he sells to Big Lots and Dollar Tree and, and Family Dollar and Target and Walmart. Yeah. And uh, their their brand is called Creative Kids. So what they do is they'll call Big Lots and they'll say, you know, hey, you know, we have this product, which is a fantastic product. And Big Lots say, okay, I'll place an order for twenty thousand pieces. So if they place an order for twenty thousand pieces, you know, it's x x you know x dollar amount is what they'll spend on that. Now. You know, if Walmart says, you know, instead of placing an order for twenty thousand, we'll place an order for a hundred thousand. So obviously, Walmart's going to get a better a better price on it because they're doing yeah. a lot more volume. So it doesn't work that way in the in the jewelry business, <laughs> in the diamond business, because it's not like there's a hundred of these stones with the same inclusion available. There's <laughs> right. right there's like those two stones that are great stones out of the six million stones, uh, six million dollars worth of stones, or five million dollars depending on what I'm looking at at that at that yeah. time. There's a few stones that are awesome stones. So I try to take advantage and buy those stones with the right price. Uh-huh. And then at the end, also, I'll try to you know, beat them up a little bit more because people know they come to Jay Fetter, they're getting the best price, and that's what we try to, we try to deliver on every time. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, and, it's and, pretty cool. And that's totally like counterintuitive too, right? To, to what you would think. I mean, right. Everything else, yeah, it's, it's just you place a big order. It's volume so, discount. Yeah. So usually, I'll, so with a big buy like that, with anything over five million that I'm looking at, it doesn't mean I'm spending five million. I usually spend three, four hundred thousand when I do something like that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes even less, but I'll sit there for six hours and I'll just look at one diamond after the next after the next, and I'll come home that night and I'll tell my wife, "Hey, babe, I'm exhausted." And she'll look at me and she'll say, oh, what was, what was today like? And I said, oh, I was doing a diamond buy. And she says, you're tired from looking at diamonds all day? <laughs> and then she says, I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> you're not out breaking sidewalk. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't get any sympathy at home. <laughs> That's too funny, though. I mean, but recently I just interviewed uh, a guy who um, is a Foley artist on movies. Mm-hmm. And so what he does is he adds sounds of, sound effects to, you know, the visual picture, things like footsteps, sure. and, you know, um, bone breaks and all that. But 
he said mentally it's exhausting because you have to be so dialed in to exactly what you're doing that it's mentally draining. It, it's physically draining too because I mean you're you know you're on the ground and you're making footsteps and you're doing yeah, all this. Yeah, I saw stuff. something on that with uh, have you ever seen the movie uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Yeah. So uh, like on the extras at the end of the movie, they showed you know how they made the sound effects for the specific things like meatballs falling. Yeah. And what it was is like it was like a wet washcloth and yeah. they were slapping it on you know just on a, like a piece of wood mm-hmm. and it just made the sound of like squish and that was the sound of the meatball yeah. so yeah that's yeah no it's cool yeah and, but you do have to be dialed in and so but i mean mentally that's got to be very draining where you're oh, staring yeah. at stone after stone after stone you're, and you're laser focused on and you're looking for flaws and i mean we're, we're talking about small stones flaws, too. and you're looking at placements of flaws and even if let's say we want we never want placements in the center of the stone yeah. but if there are in the center of stone they, they have to be white I don't like black inclusions in, in the diamonds that we sell. So okay. they have to be white. But if they're white and they're off to the edge, if they're breaking the edge, that's an issue. If So there's a lot of things that we look at. And even if they're you know ideally something that we would like, there could be a reason why I don't buy that diamond. And then I'll just pass on it for you know specific reasons. But like I said, if we're buying a diamond, we think we're going to be married to that diamond for a while. We're going to we're gonna you know help you know somebody yeah. with that diamond. It's going to be part of their family. And they might upgrade it, which is, then comes right back <laughs> to the store. So it has to be, it has to be a good stone. Wow. One of the other things that uh, that you hear in terms of the diamond buying business is, you know, people are concerned about blood diamonds, right? Sure. There's that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movie that right. I have not seen, <laughs> um, but you know, there's there's a lot of uh, activism surrounding so-called blood diamonds. Right. When people come to you, do they, you know, does anyone ever say? Uh, I'm looking for a diamond, but I really don't want a blood diamond, right? Right. Or, or, you know, I'm concerned about this. Or maybe, you know, there are people who say the entire business is crooked. Right. Or, we don't you want know, to support it because, right, it, 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 supporting it fascist regimes. Right. And, so, so it is illegal. So everybody knows it's illegal to sell conflict diamonds in the United States. Okay. So if you walk into any jewelry store, it if they have a diamond that is conflict, it's it's illegal. They're they're not allowed to. Okay. Um, so we all have to uh, adhere to the laws. But how would the, anyone know of the Kim- so we have to adhere to the laws of the Kimberly process. Okay. And if you import something and you don't follow the right, so it has to have a mine documentation. It has to have specific things. So if you're mm. if if you own a site in a mine or if you own a cutting business, when you import the diamonds to the U.S., you have to fill out a lot of paperwork. So that prevents a lot of these conflict. I think Zimbabwe was a. It was a it was like a, a no no buying zone, wow. so we weren't allowed to buy from Zimbabwe for a while. But now they, it's it's legal; we're allowed to. So, it, so what? It basically, we don't buy from places that fund conflict. Okay. So that's that's you know that's that's an issue that you know we take very seriously. And the next issue that we're trying to fight is is fair trade, um, uh, as fair work environments. Um, so you know they the, the employees get treated right. So that's our mm-hmm. next battle, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, but right now, it's it's making sure that it's not blood diamonds, which means it's not you know it's it's not on the back of conflict and, and, and war. It, and it sounds like you're referring to it as conflict diamonds. Is that yes. is, is that the conflict and blood is is very yeah. So conflict is okay. you know, yeah. So that's that's fairly standard parlance across yes. the jewelry industry. Yes. So a lot of times people say you know I I don't even want to you know get into you know any of the conflict or or, or I mean any of anything from you know the African countries or what what do I do? So there are lab made diamonds. And some people opt to do that. And there are Canadian diamonds, which hmm. a lot of people say, I want a Canadian diamond because I know, you know, there, there's labor laws in place. And, you know, it's... Oh, like ice road truckers. That, like, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So there's a Divec mine uh, that Rio Tinto mines from. And so okay. you know, we have uh, like, a, like a kind of a sister company that owns part of the site there. So we get first dibs on a lot of those Canadian diamonds. So we have, we have, a, 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 we have a, a source to get a lot of those when people need them. 
and factory-made diamonds or lab-made diamonds. You said. Mm-hmm. What should people know about uh, about lab made diamonds? There's, there's, it's very tough. There's very, it's a tough market right now. The technology is so that lab made diamonds are almost seventy five percent of the cost of of a natural diamond. Most women don't want uh, lab made diamonds, and uh, as far as we know, but, oh, uh, I mean anecdotally, and right. you know, you're in this business every right. day. So uh, right, so most people don't want that. And then the second hand, when we ne- we don't offer trade in on those either. Because if someone said, hey, I want to upgrade to a natural diamond, it's like, well, what do I do with this lab diamond? Like, we, we hardly sell any of these. We sell two of these a year. You know, we don't have a market for it. Yeah. So for that reason, when somebody tries to sell – and I, so I don't just buy diamonds from dealers. I buy diamonds from, you know, from estates. Somebody could call me and say, you know, I have this estate. You know, my grandmother passed away. I want you to look at all the jewelry that they have. So I could look at, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry there too. Buying is, is all over the place, but there's a market <laughs> for everything, right? So even your grandmother's jewelry that, you know, it's, it's, you know, a heavy gold chain or it's, it's, it has diamonds in it. So we can, sometimes we could take those diamonds and recut them and make them modern cut diamonds and sell them into the market. Hmm. You can't do anything to transform a lab created diamond to make it a natural, right? So, yeah, well, sure. Yeah. Right. So there's no, there's no secondhand market for a lab. I mean, it's very low. You know, it's pennies on the dollar. So most people stay away from it for that reason too, because people feel like a diamond should be more of an investment. Yeah. You know, you're you're giving someone, you know, you know, a large chunk of money and saying, hey, you know, I really love you and care about you, and I'm giving you this, this, you know, this, this, you know, the, this diamond that's worth a lot of money because I yeah. love you and care about you. Uh, you know, therefore, will, sure. will, you, will you marry me? You know, I'm showing you my <laughs> commitment. <laughs> so, so yeah. So it, it it's uh, lab. Le- the lab market is is very small. We don't do we don't do much of it. Getting back to the uh, the conflict diamonds for a second. Um, one other thing that you articulated to me once because it's really funny. One of the reasons I want to do this interview is when we came in, we hit it off. You know, we were just talking about our kids. True. And, yeah. You know, you you uh, you had done something to your hand, like playing hockey. That's and, right. <laughs> and so we ended up just uh, yakking with each other for quite a while. But you mentioned to me that you're looking to get fair labor practices in the countries where diamonds exist. That's right. And diamonds are like any other natural resource. You know, you can't. It's not like you can just get them anywhere. They exist where they exist. That's right. right. It, it's like oil and gas or coal or, you know, you, you can They are where they are. Exactly. Right. And if you're going to cut off entirely. Um, right. That's kind of like I told you what my sister told me. Yeah. So my sister said, you know, I'm not going to buy a diamond because it funds conflict and all this. And I said, you know, first of all, we're, we're taking precautions so that doesn't happen. But second of all, if everyone cuts off diamonds, we say, you know what? None of us are going to buy diamonds anymore. That's what they have to export. Right. Right. So that's what supports their communities. That's and, their and, natural resource. Right. Exactly. That's their natural resource. So so that's what that's what supports them and their healthcare and and everything that they have, their governments. And so if, you know that's that's what they have. So you know, cutting it off is not the answer to the question. It's okay. How do we fight to be good Americans and and then help them? You know, do what we've done here. Yeah. How do we embolden the rest of the world? How do we you know how do Absolutely. we how do we help them? pull themselves out of it. Maybe they're in poverty. Maybe they're an underdeveloped labor market. How can this facilitate growth uh, in a way that's beneficial? That's right. 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 So that's, that's the new, that's the new cause that people are, are fighting for. So at first it was just, you know, let's make sure we're not buying anywhere that funds conflict. Now it's like, Hey, you know, let's make sure there's, there's, you know, good work environments. And, you know, so that's, that's kind of the new cause that people are, are, are fighting for right now. Well, I mean, given that there's a process in the U S for, 
um, you know, ensuring that the diamonds come from conflict-free areas or that you're not funding conflict probably more specifically. Is the majority of the industry sort of on board with that? Um, or, you know, are there bad actors that you have to contend with? I mean, I'm sure that's true of any industry, but right. how, how so, much is that prominent? So the, I think uh, China, I he- I've heard that. They, they buy these conflict diamonds. They say, you know, well, diamonds are diamonds are diamonds, so we'll just right. buy it from there. And then they'll they'll try to somehow sneak it into, you know, another country like India. And then India will try to sell it to the U.S. But as soon as someone's busted doing that, they're shut uh-huh. down. They're not allowed to do business with the with the U.S. anymore and, and a lot of other countries as right. well. So, they, they, so they, they're they very careful. Well. Right. They're very careful not to touch anything like that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And China, I mean, China historically does not have a really great human rights right. record. <laughs> so I, I would say right. that's not terribly surprising. But – you know, as we continue to evolve and learn more, I hopefully that pra- that practice changes. Right. Hearing you talk about this, and this is why I love doing this podcast because I learn more about every industry uh, that I talk to. Sure. What is something else beyond sort of conflict diamonds uh, that that is misunderstood about uh, the jewelry business? You know, something that that goes into your work or you know, how you do what you do that maybe people don't get or that is perhaps misrepresented? Um, I don't know. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I guess, is repair on jewelry, which is interesting. Mm. Okay. So a lot of people think that they could just wear their ring forever and not have any work done on it. Like, you know, this ring is built to last forever. Well, it is built to last forever, but what else do you wear every single day that never needs any repairs done? <laughs> right. So it's funny because when people come in, they're like, well, I've had it for 10 years, and, you know, now, you know, I just noticed that, you know, whatever. And I say, well, well yeah, it's been 10 years, so, yeah, that, that makes sense. And they, they think about it and say, oh, well, I guess that does make sense. So I am trying to promote people to come in a little more often and check out their jewelry because yeah. what else do you wear every single day for so many years and expect <laughs> it to be fine? So it is made, it is built to last a long time, but you know, just like anything else, yeah. it, you know, once in a while, it needs a tune up. I suppose it's like cars, you know? I mean, <laughs> some people never take their car in for an oil change or anything, right? Right. right. And, <laughs> and, and we just expect our cars to sort of run flawlessly, but you know, it requires some maintenance. It, and right. like anything else, your car is an investment. Your jewelry is an investment. Absolutely. All right. So you you want to make sure the diamonds are tight. You want to make sure that, you know, it's if you have white gold, it, you know, it's not turning yellow and it gets rhodium plated. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, it's just it's being taken care of properly, that nothing's exposed. And let's say you, you did knock it on something, which everybody knocks their jewelry on stuff, especially sure. rings. Necklaces, not as much. Earrings, not as much. But but bracelets and rings all the time. So if you do knock it on something, you know, like, oh, check it out. Make sure it's fine. So you bring it to the jeweler say, you know, I, I knocked it on the granite countertop. You know, I hit it pretty hard. I just want to make sure everything's fine. Yeah. And let's say one of the prongs are shifted over and the diamond hasn't fallen out still tight but we just want to make sure that hey look if that happens again your diamond's going to pop right out so let's let's make sure that doesn't happen so we try to stay on top of of it but sometimes you know people don't come in for a long time and i guess that's you know not to sound like a commercial but that does it's a testament to the quality of our jewelry but other people you know come in and stay on top of it and then their jewelry does last forever because they are on top of it yeah what is your favorite part of working in this industry the people the people are a lot of fun. You get to hear different stories and, uh, you know, the, just, you know, the romantic part of me enjoys, you know, just the romantic side of things. And it's just, you know, you get to help people through a lot of fun in their lives and, and great moments. And it's cool to be kind of a part of that. One of my favorite stories, uh, I had this, this, uh, this couple, Alex and Jennifer, they were trying to have a kid. Uh-huh. And uh, so she picked out this band and she said, Avi, if Alex comes in, this is the band I want. And... Uh, 
I mean, I'm thinking maybe I should change the names now, but I thought they'll probably be fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, should, when Alex comes in, this is the band I want for a push present. And so uh, they waited a year or two, and, and you know they were having a hard time. So Alex said, you know what, let's just get it for her. And, uh, and so we did. We ordered it. And the day it came in, she actually found out that she was pregnant. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So she didn't tell him. So she said to me, when Alex comes in to pick it up, I want you to show him this. And it was a positive pregnancy test. <laughs> so I was able to be a part of something so cool and special. And so So I had too. Jennifer stashed away in the back of the office. And she had a bottle of champagne. And Alex came in. And I said, hey, buddy, how's it going? And he said, great. You know, I'm just you know, here to pick it up. You know, Jen told me she wasn't able to pick out the ring. And, uh, you know, so you know, I'm here to grab it. So I said, oh, cool, no problem. And I said, here, just check it out first. And he opened the box. And he's like, what's this? I was like, oh, it comes, you know, it comes with the ring. <laughs> and he's looking at it. And he's like, this isn't what I think it is. I said, yeah. And uh, he looks at it and he's like, get out of here. And I was like, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> so he's like, that's crazy. And then Jennifer comes around the corner and, and it was, it was just, it was a wonderful moment. And because of the industry I'm in, I got to be part of that, which is really special. And we have the whole thing on video and it's like such a cool moment. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that things like that. You know, make it really special. God, that'll make coming to work pretty easy. Oh, it? yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Do you have a least favorite part? Least favorite part? Um, not really. I mean, probably putting it away every night and taking it out. Right. Yeah. I mean, logistically, <laughs> that's gotta <laughs> that's be. That's right. That's my least favorite but, part. Putting out the right. Putting it you know out in the morning and setting it up and putting it away at night. The, that's uh, probably my least favorite part. It's a fairly minor gripe, though. You know, when you right. get right down to my, it. My favorite part is working with people. So I guess you can say you know. So therefore, my least favorite part is the paperwork and stuff that I have to <laughs> do, which is all the appraisals and you know making sure that people are insured because you know we want to make sure their jewelry is taken care yeah. of if it's lost or stolen or damaged. You know that that's covered. So I guess that's my least favorite part. But I know how important that is. So sure, you know, I kind of have to stand top of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's part of the process, and you know it. I mean that's that's the back end part that sort of facilitates your relationship with your customers as right. well. Exactly. So I right. mean that makes sense. To like me. we said, following up on things that you promised. Okay. So how long have you been doing this now? Uh, over seven years. Okay. Almost eight years. Okay, eight years. In that time, what has changed about the? You know, the jewelry business and your relation to it, like when you started versus now and perhaps where are we going in the future? So I would say the the, the thing that's changed the most is online. So people mm-hmm. are looking uh, online to buy to buy diamonds and jewelry. And uh, at first we were thinking, you know, how, you know, you know, they're, they're, they don't work on much mar- on margin and, you know, how are we going to be able to compete with that? But then we started seeing and noticing what was being sold online. And that's not comparable to what's mm-hmm. being sold in a store. So you have, you know, I guess your three tiers of, of diamonds. You have the ones that are sold in small family places, the ones that people, like we talked about before, people pick specifically from those, the best stuff. And then you have, you know, the stuff that, you know. Your volume dealers. Your volume dealers buy. And they just need to buy because they have to turn out that certain volume. So they're kind of forced into whatever they have. Yeah. And then there's the stuff even they don't want. And that's the stuff that's usually sold online. So people will look online and they'll say, wow, there's a G-Color SI1 for the same price J. Fetter, you know, for, for less than the price that J. Fetter has it for. I could save $1,000 by doing this. And then they come and they tell me, Avi, how come I found a diamond cheaper? I say, well, let's, let's look into it. So we look and there's obviously inclusions, and, you know, smack in the center or there's this or there's that. So there's, you know, that. At first, probably for the first year or two, we were thinking like, wow, we're actually losing sales to this. And then when we started opening our eyes, we're like, if we educate our clients just a little bit more, 
they're never going to buy online again. I mean, that's not something that you do with jewelry. It's like, like we said, if it's a blue sweater and a size medium that was cashmere and it's Gap, you can go in the store or you can go online and buy it. It's the same exact thing. <laughs> right. For jewelry, it's not even close. So the more you educate your clients, the less likely they are to do anything like that because it just doesn't make any sense. Wow. You know, I think, you know, internet presence and, you know, Amazon will continue to grow, but the online jewelry presence will probably start dying pretty soon. I think it, it was a good run for them. I think it'll taper off, you know, speaking of the future. Hmm. Interesting. So you guys have been in this same location now for, you said 40 years? Almost, yeah. Almost 40 years. And uh, I, I think, think it's 37 or 38 years. I think this is a good place for you to uh, give us some plugs, man. Where can, where can we find you? I'm assuming you all have a website, right? Yeah, jfetterjewelers.com um, or jfetter.com. And then we're downtown in the university building, uh, yeah. 9, 10, 16. And we actually validate parking, so it's not a hassle <laughs> to come downtown. Yeah. So you can park on 15th and Champa, um, Rui's parking. Uh, it's the same two guys that are always there. And yeah. once you come in, you know, once, the, the second time they're going to recognize you and, yeah. you know, take your car and, and, and it's valet style. And then you, you take the parking ticket and you bring it to us. We validate it and then we'll help you with whatever you need. Yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're just downtown. And, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic group of people that we have. And it's a lot of fun, you know, doing what we do. Well, I'll tell you what. This was enormously illuminating for me because, uh, you know, the jewelry business, again, like this is the purpose of the show, right? Everyone has some exposure to this business, right? But but know very little about it. So right. to get the opportunity to sit down with you, who's been around at least around this business your entire life, and you know shed some light on some of the things that that go into something that we all experience is just really fun, really helpful. And uh, you're a great dude. I've yeah. I've, I've been a re- <laughs> I've been a repeat customer of yours uh, a couple of times now, and I uh, cannot recommend you highly enough. So. Thank you very much. Yeah, continued success to you, Avi. Thank you. Appreciate it. Episode 117. Wrap it up. Put it in a box. We're getting out of here. We're calling it good. That's right. Avi Bulow, Jay Fetter Jewelers. I would argue there is no better jeweler here in Denver. So check them out. He gave you all the plugs. You can find them on johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of all trades.us. You can also find every other episode I've ever done housed right there. iTunes has the most recent 100. Stitcher has the most recent 10. So, Three ways to get involved with the John Valtrade podcast. I'll give you a few more. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. The only place you can find official episode previews is on Facebook. That comes out on Mondays. What else can I say? We may have another episode next week. We may not. We did four in three weeks at the Denver Film Festival. This one is another one coming up right after that, so we may take a break next week. And you know what? We may wrap it up here soon for the end of the year, but we'll be back strong in January. I'll keep you posted. Stay up with us on the social media networks. That's where my whimsy sometimes plays itself out. In the meantime, check out our producer. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. We're on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Training, content, and engagement. We are communications consultants. We are specialists. We have a deft touch, and we're ready to work for you. So we'll be back here either next week or the week after. But until then, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.